Triple Whale has just launched a simple finance platform called FinHub, and I'm already loving it. One simple dashboard for all the tools and accounts you're already using, so you can gain clarity with your consolidated data, your real-time cash flow, your accrual P&Ls. It's designed to help those brands that are built on Shopify to operate smarter. So go over to triplewhale.com and check it out. The surprising thing here is that 37% are actually seeking additional product information about what they already purchased. This is a different kind of a support experience. It's not just about the like acquisition and replacement of a product. Welcome back to Pit Stop. Philip Jackson, host of Future Commerce Podcast, along with the Six Mattress co-host, which we talked about in the last episode. So if you want a little bit of a clue to what I'm talking about, make sure you go back and listen to the previous episode. But uh, you're also the Chief Commerce Officer at RightPoint. Thank you. Uh, glad to be back. We talked about different buying patterns in the, the last episode. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the strategy of friction and how that relates to customer experiences, whether it's good friction or bad friction, and really how customers are buying. Let me give you an example because I think uh, not all friction is bad. The thing I'd like to say is, uh, you know, a, a frictionless tire wouldn't go anywhere. Like uh, you need a little bit of friction. We typically call that traction, right? But too much friction is bad. I mean. Frictionless sex would be boring, but, you know, hey, uh, too much friction, youch. What we should be aiming for is the right amount of friction. And I think where the friction is is very important in customer relationship. Clienteling is a good example of good friction, right? So clienteling being I'm forming a relationship with someone. And to form a relationship, we have to have a dialogue or discourse about, you know, who you are and what you're looking for and, you know, what your background is and, so you feel like you know this person and you've developed a relationship with them. I put this out on Twitter. Why is it that the same people who will tell you you need to reduce the number of steps in your checkout are also the same people who will tell you to put a 12-step quiz on your homepage of your website? And that's because they're both friction, but one is good friction and one is bad friction. In the checkout example, more steps in the checkout are providing speed bumps in front of somebody who's already made a purchase intent uh, and is trying to carry out the action and the purchase. They've already decided what they want. Whereas on the other end of the funnel, good friction is I don't know what I want yet and I'm willing to endure a little bit of uh, investment in our future relationship by spending some time here right now, letting you know who I am, what I'm looking for uh, and how I can be, uh, how my needs can be met. And if you do it right, that information can guide all future interactions, right? And so we set out at Future Commerce to study this a little bit and uh, with the idea that if you introduce the right friction at the right time, and that leads to better understanding and a relationship that, hey, maybe there's an opportunity there for you to uh, build your business and specifically in the area of uh, customer experience or in customer support. And so, you know, the hypothesis was, what if... Uh, modern brands purposely injected some friction, meaning like I'm, I'm going to build in a, as part of my customer experience design and, and customer journey mapping, the requirement that you have to, you know, interact with a human being rather than just self-service and digital, would that be a good thing? And uh, so that's what we set out to find in our study. And it turns out customers actually like the right kind of friction. I have a little story of horrible friction but I know why it's done because it increases revenue. I had subscribed to a paper, the New York times. And when they wanted me to cancel, you have to either call in or chat it. You can't cancel through the app or the website or even by email. 
And so they add so much friction. And from a customer experience, it's just awful. But at the same time, there's almost, and this is the segue into the bad friction where it's almost you go and ask a question on, on the support front and maybe it's pre-purchase and you just get a generic, oh, check our FAQ. We've all had that experience, right? Like I, uh, another good example would be the bad retail experiences and maybe big legacy department stores, for instance, where even if you wanted to have a clienteling experience, even if you wanted to talk to a human being, you, there's not one, there's not a soul around to be found. And even if you did find them, you know, the likelihood of them being knowledgeable about the product is quite low. They're not there to be product experts. And I think that that, you know, that also is an element of bad friction. I think both of those examples really lead to our first insight that we found in, in the study, which is what are the top three reasons for people that reach out to CX teams for post sales? Well, there's the obvious ones, right? There's uh, fulfillment issues like shipping and tracking, maybe a return or exchange like a product mismatch. You know, 50% or around about 50% of people are reaching out to a brand post sales because they, you know, want to know where is my stuff or can I get different stuff? But the surprising thing here is that 37% are actually seeking additional product information about what they already purchased. This is a different kind of a support experience that's not just about the like acquisition or the replacement of a product. It's about, I need more information about this thing I already bought because this is post-sales. And when you ask customers what their routine is around talking to customer service, 33% or one in three of them are interacting with a service team on a weekly basis. So what does all this mean? I think we just sort of dial it into people really want a human interaction. Like people want a, a human touch in this interaction, especially when it's post-purchase. And they're doing that, you know, primarily, this was very surprising to me, most preferred online chat with an agent, but at the same time, the same number of people who preferred online chat. So 27% prefer online chat, 27% also prefer phone, which is like the most legacy support channel you could possibly think of. And I think it just kind of comes down to, you know, people want accountability in interactions and knowing that a human's going to take uh, ownership of a problem and then try to fix it. The thing they want the most is an easy way to find how to contact a person. And that just kind of speaks volumes as to if you put hurdles in front of a person, you know, trying to get a, a need met, that is seen as, well, I guess, bad friction. They want that more than say 24 or seven customer service. So the availability of getting their needs met isn't as important as them knowing that they can find the information of how to talk to a human being when they need it. I love buyer psychology. Just as I say that out loud, oh, I could talk about that all day. And I wonder if it's the total time it takes to get the action that you want. So if you want to talk to someone on the phone and it's 7.30 p.m. in the evening, you're willing to wait 14 hours until the next day at 9.30 in the morning to talk to, to a human because for you, the total time that you've committed is 30 seconds to look up the, the contact info and then another couple minutes to, to call and talk to someone versus it's the fact that it's there versus the 24 seven uh, live chat support, but it's not really live chat. It's a, an automated chatbot that they're trying to pass off as being a human being. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, um, uh, uh, those are not just bad friction. It's bad practice <laughs> and in bad faith. And people like don't mind a chatbot. They can sniff it out, man. <laughs> no one's fooled.
And just here's a, a very tactical takeaway. Just have a disclaimer when your chatbot pops up and say, we find that 70% of customers can receive an answer within two minutes in one of these three places. Positioning the wait time as, hey, while you're waiting for a human, there's a good chance that you can resolve it yourself here if that's what you're into. And it shows that you're trying to get your customer happy as fast as possible. So the other takeaway, or not the other, because there, there are multiple ones. I'm just going to read the heading. Positive customer experience leads to increased revenue. Let's, let's talk about that because I don't know any brands, Philip. I've never come across one where a founder or a CEO says, you know, I really just, I got to piss off my customers more. They're too happy. Too many five-star reviews. <laughs> It seems like a, a it seems like a duh sort of a takeaway, doesn't it? Nobody's like purposely trying to do a bad job or underinvest in in a channel. You know, you kind of work with what you have, and I, I think that okay, if you were to just say, well, positive CX leads to increased revenue, I, well, duh. But let's take the data points here and let's map them back to the thing that we just talked about, which is eighty seven percent in our study. Eighty seven percent said they feel more loyal to a brand or a retailer after a positive CX experience. Also, 51% shopped the site again, 37% spent more money. So let's take that for a second. Not only will they feel more loyal, they'll shop again. One and two will shop again. One and three will spend more money with that brand. But didn't we just say that the 50% of the reasons that people are reaching out to a brand after a sale was because of an oopsie? Like, I don't know where my stuff is or the stuff that I got isn't good. I want to I wanna replace it. When you think about it like that, those sorts of oopsie moments are an opportunity. They're friction for sure, but they're an opportunity for you to create increased loyalty. And so the way that you handle those interactions is more important than I think we're giving it credit for. And we don't, I don't think anybody's really realizing and come back to the same data point, how often the modern shopper has to encounter the X engagement because one in three customers are interacting with a service member somewhere. In, in some brand that they've purchased on a weekly basis or more often. I think that actually leads us very nicely into the, the last takeaway, which is, you know, everyone's trying to invest in, in innovation. We've heard about conversational commerce, right? We've heard about, you know, in chat transactions. We've heard about getting agents to be able to add items to an order or upsell. We've heard about AR and VR or virtual try on all these things. The consumers in our study who said that they're likely to engage in those kinds of innovations are also the customers who said that effective CX or good friction is something that causes them to spend more or to frequent the brand more often. So your customers who are showing up in your support channels are the ones who are also the ones more likely to interact with these areas of innovation where, you know, brands are doing everything they can nowadays to try to stand out from the next because it's really hard to, to differentiate yourself in the Shopify era, right? I really think that not enough brands think of uh, CX as a pre-sales funnel, like a pre-sales channel. And I think that some of that could be based around abandonment. Some of that can be based around offers and, and product information or virtual consultation. These you know, support interactions happening pre-sales are a huge untapped opportunity. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find the research? Where can people find more of you, obviously, on the Future Commerce podcast, wherever they're listening to to Pit Stop? Where else can people find you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Twitter, uh, Phil Winkle on Twitter, but uh, 
Future Commerce is where you can find all this stuff. We decided many years ago that we don't want to report on the news. Uh, we want to make news. And so original research, and we disseminate that research through media, you know, podcast essays, newsletters, and the like. And uh, we're putting out content uh, five days a week uh, in some form or another. And uh, yeah, you can get all of that at futurecommerce.fm. Awesome. Thank you so much. Make sure you're subscribed. Thank you for listening. And as always, if you haven't shared this episode with your mother-in-law, I'm sure she'd appreciate it. With 70,000 customers around the world and hundreds of five-star reviews, it's no wonder why so many businesses choose OmniSend for their marketing automation. Here's a review from the Shopify app store that I think said it better than I could of myself. Honestly, I don't think there's anything this app can't do when it comes to email automation marketing. I haven't been with them long, but it seems like whenever I try to do something a little bit more complex, OmniSend has the capability to do it. Their support is incredible. Thanks, Kara. I'm so happy that I chose this app over all the others. You won't be disappointed. Head to Omnisend.com and see for yourself why so many brands love Omnisend. Triple Whale is doing some amazing things nowadays. They're developing just a huge range of tools to help your brand stay informed and scale. And Whale Mail is where you can get all these details. So head over to triplewhale.com and sign up today.